We're hitting the tasting. We're hitting the tasting, right? Tasting is very important. Like, yeah, very important. The thing I know most about wine is, <laughs> it is the tasting. another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 67. First episode of 2023. Glad you guys are all with me. So occasionally I've done a few podcasts here and there with uh, people within the hospitality industry, um, various psalms, and uh, and I've been trying to get more of the variety uh, that everyone loves, of course, different types of psalms and chefs and others within uh, within hospitality. Uh, as you know, food and wine go so well together. So I've actually got a, uh, a chef coming as well. Um, he's uh, a French chef. There's a restaurant down in uh, Gastown. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to grab him on the next one. Just as you guys know, food and wine go so well together. And chefs uh, themselves have a great knowledge uh, of wines because they have to. Because they have to know what goes well with their with their foods, right? But um, that will be the, probably the next one. This one uh, episode 67 is with Christopher McFadden and Edwin Kumar. They are both originally from the BC area and they've done, uh, they've worked within hospitality out in BC for quite some time. They're both currently in Ontario and they both have spent decades in the hospitality industry and they're using that knowledge and passing it on to the next generation. And they've got a, uh, restaurant leadership course that, uh, or a restaurant leadership program that they've uh, created and started and trying to mentor and trying to uh, give back to that younger generation. So let's uh, let's just get right into it, actually. Uh, episode 67, here we go. My name's Christopher McFadden. Um, I've been in the hospitality business for, oh, just going over two decades now. Starting off uh, really back in uh, 2000, well, 1998 was my first host job at Eastside Mario's. Uh, and then going into uh, serving there, and um, it was really my my moment of getting into uh, discovering wine. When I was like, "Holy cow! Eighty dollar bottles of wine to sell! This is huge!" Uh, and then um, I was kind of doing hospitality through um, through being an actor through high school, and I was making a living as an actor uh, in my younger uh, years. And uh, I had left. Um, theater to move out to uh, Lake Louise um, and that's where I really kind of discovered uh, the wine world so anyways 20 years later I've been uh, through Calgary and Vancouver and Toronto um, all fine dining restaurants um, with getting my sommelier diploma in 2004 um, through the International Sommelier Guild um, and hospitality was really what was my kind of driving force so that's um, that's me but I live in Burlington Ontario with my wife uh, Joanne uh, of uh, 15 years and, um, and yeah being back in my home city of Burlington which we'll talk about later yeah which is which is cool to get back to I mean you were such a BC guy for so long too right so yes. good to get I back to the roots right 
Yeah. Um, we were chatting off mic, and then we'll, we'll chat in a second, Edwin, but uh, we were chatting off mic about um, what, what was there something in, in wine that you, that you fell in love with? Um, was there a moment or was it just kind of a gradual appreciation that uh, you just started developing your, your love of it, shall we say? I really lucked out when I was 20 and um, I had applied to the Chateau Lake Louise. And this is just as Canadian Pacific bought Fairmont. Um, and there was a job that, not that I, it was a posted job, um, but I applied to the hotel and um, the Wallacher Stube uh, wine bar, a Swiss German restaurant wine bar, which was the top restaurant in the hotel to get a gig in. And most of the people in the hotel spent about six or seven years working in the hotel to be able to be considered for it. But because Canadian Pacific had just purchased Fairmont, um, they wanted to hire somebody in the restaurant that didn't have any real thoughts of what the company was like and bring any kind of negative negative energy to it. And I was the lucky guy that got the job. I'd only been serving for about a year and a half. And um, and yeah, I got into the wine bar and I had no idea what that was going to mean because when I got in there, people went, oh, you're the new guy in the wine bar. It must be nice. And I realized that I only worked from five to ten five days a week and made a couple hundred bucks a night and I got to ski every day. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a perked position for sure. Um, but my, my moment really came when I started opening up bottles of Petrus and Lafitte and Mouton uh, nightly. It was, it was just a thing that happened. This is the world was in good shape and people were spending money. Um, so it was 1996 Lafitte. That was my first moment where I thought I got to do something with this. And three months into my job with the Chateau at 20 years old, um, I enrolled for my sommelier diploma um, in January that year. So that's, that's pretty wonderful. decent wine. That's pretty decent wine to have as a, uh, as a, you know, yeah. yeah, that's all right. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. yeah. Right? And then, yeah, just super easy perks. I just, you know, I was making a ton of money and there was nights where I was saving $100, $50 bills in a wine bottle because um, there's no bank in Lake Louise and, I would crack the bottle open once in a while and look at my roommates and go, whatever's in the bottle, let's go and spend on dinner. Um, yeah, but this is, yeah, I was, I was drinking 60, 60 Barolos at 20 years old. And I remember at Giorgio's restaurant in Banff, I challenged the, I challenged a bottle to Massey Maroni that was corked and the owner comes up to me and he goes, taste it again. I've been drinking wine as long as you are old. And I thought, well, yeah, I know, but I've been studying for the last year now and, I, 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 it's, it's there's a flaw. <laughs> so anyways, I, um, and that's where I really kind of fell in love with Napa Cab. So Napa Cabernet was always my, my go-to, which sommeliers smirk at me for, because your palate should be more, more experienced to drink things other than that. So yeah. anyways, Napa Cab, uh, Napa Cab is where my heart fell after I um, tasted 96 Lafitte. So that's a, a something I, want, I actually would want to come back to on, um, um, we'll we'll chat with Edwin, but talking about corked, like sending bottles back or sending that's a whole conversation about. Oh wow. Um, even as a cons- <laughs> as a consumer to have the wherewithal or to or to be honest, to even have the confidence to say, you know what, I know my wines and this isn't this isn't right. You know what I mean? So from both sides for the for the on the restaurant side to say, no, you're wrong. And on the consumer side to go, you know what, something's something's not right. You know what I mean? So <laughs> But uh, Edwin, tell us, talk to us, tell us about yourself. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Um, so my customer service started pretty early. I did retail for, you know, basically from junior high onwards. And so when I got into the restaurant space, 
you know, I started out with the Sheraton group. Uh, this would have been early 90s, so shortly after graduation. And uh, it was cool. I was living downtown in the West End and, you know, had a job at the Wall Center, which was like two and a half blocks from where my apartment was. And at that time, I was I was working with a pretty cool crew. Um, you know, our uh, Jean-Francis was the head chef for evening and Martin Hauser was the head chef in the day. And they came from, you know, the croc and that sort of thing. And then the wine program was being run by um, Ian at the time, um, which was which was which was quite cool. And uh so i you know i kind of started getting my feet wet on that side of things uh left the hotel industry um early 2000 and or sorry late to like early 2000s like 2001 is when i left the hotels and I, I really wanted to get into independent restaurants and there was a few kind of heavy hitters at that time um you know there was uh harry cambolis and jack Evansall and rob feeney were kind of the three so i was like I think I'm going to try to work for all of those guys in the next few years. And so that was kind of my goal. And I wanted, I was just curious. I was like, how, how are they doing it? Um, clearly they're doing something successful and I want to figure out what that is. And uh, so that's what I did. Um, so I kind of ran through those restaurants and then, and then landed out in the suburbs after that um, at a restaurant called Hart House, uh, which was a bit of an establishment. And it was great because the owner, uh, Paul Smolin, who became a mentor of mine, he was very much like, just run it. Like he, he literally was like, I want to, I want to have lunch and just, just run stuff. And so that's, that's what I did. Um, I took a little hiatus away from there for a couple of years and then came back to them and, and I, you know, operated that business for in total for about 11 years actually. And um, that was a really, really great experience um, all around. Uh, and so then, you know, I, I, the, the, sort of position that I end up kind of going into, and we'll segue into this later, was was I, I really kind of led into people management. But I was running the wine program. And and I remember when I, when I was kind of first learning about wine it, 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 at the Wall Center, um, there was uh, uh, two servers there who were really, really into it. And so I was like, okay, great. I'm just going to ask them everything I can. And I asked so many stupid questions. I mean, even later on, you know, when I was supposed to know what I was talking about, I, I never had any shame. So I would always just throw out a dumb question. It, it didn't matter if there was 20 people or 30 people in that room. I'm like, oh, but what about this? And they're like, that is completely inaccurate. I'm like, perfect. I just learned something. So so I kind of always had that kind of approach to stuff, um, you know, sit, throw it against the wall and see, see what sticks. And um, yeah, my experience coming into, into wine is slightly unorthodox. When I was 13, um, I was in England for the whole summer. Uh, my cousin was getting married. He was quite a bit older than I was. And there was a big engagement party happening. And, you know, my cousin's family was was pretty well off. And 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 so we had gone into London and my aunt was like, we're going to take that. We're going to take cases of that. And we're going to take bottles of that. Da, da, da. And I was like, wow, OK, this is like a pretty big bill. Right. And um, and so there was a, a pre-wedding engagement party and my uncle um who was visiting us, um, who previously actually was the governor general of Fiji, my mom's eldest brother, and he was knighted, right? So, so you know, my uncle served served Jay Singh, right? He, he's he's like hanging out on the floor and he's like, Eddie, grab this. And he hands me like this bottle of Krug. And I'm like 13 years old. So I just got drunk on Krug. It was the very first time I ever really kind of experienced something. It planted a seed somewhere because later on when I started diving into wine, I was like, oh, okay. Somewhere in there, my neural pathways were like, I know what's good and I know what's not. And, you know, you kind of go through that whole 
era of you know starting to go out and drinking stuff and and you know at that time the bc wine scene was really young really really young when my wife were drinking bc wine i mean i think it was sumac rich pinot gris was like the biggest thing on the market um, at that time and you know so we had you know a fridge full of that but after a while you get a little bit palate fatigue um with the same thing and so i started getting back into it and and it, it really came down to really good mentorship um i was pretty hungry to learn as much as possible so i always volunteered to do inventory i know it sounds like a crazy thing to do but i'm like i just want to look at labels and see what the caps look like and read the backs and so my i was terrible i was like don't even like pay me two hours it'll take me eight um because i'll, I'll just do this very very slowly and and that's kind of a little bit of an introduction into my world of restaurant and wine. That's interesting. Uh, interesting you say that. Actually, I did the Wall Center back in 0203. I did that for a couple of years doing the in-house security back then. It's a great place. Like it's uh, just thinking, just thinking back to those times, right? Like that's a that's a cool venue to um, to you know get your get your feet wet. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was really neat actually, and and to tell you the truth, it was really, it was very funny because when I was at um, it was Indigo Bistro at the time, and um, uh, the Lumiere crew had all come in for dinner, and so I was serving them right. This is before I worked, you know, w w with that company, and they'd all come in for dinner, and I was like, you know, my my chef was like, oh, do you know do you know who's who who this table is? And I was like, yeah, yeah kind of, you know, and he had his show started, and uh, and the whole thing, and so I was like, okay, cool, you know, and. and they had a really great dinner and, you know, I, I served the whole table and whatever else, but later on um, I had poured some, uh, I was going to pour some um, uh, Calvados for the table. And uh, it was Neil Ingram and Neil Ingram's like, someone's watered down your Calvados, man. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, he goes, I don't know. I'd probably go check your camera. Someone's getting in there and watering down your Calvados. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so I sent that up to the, uh, to the powers that be and said, you know, I think someone's uh, skimming, skimming the product here. <laughs> in Ontario, is is BC Wines, does it have any presence right now at all? Or um, is it all Ontario based right now out there? Just kind of, I just, I was just thinking about it because talking so much about BC Wines and um, with a foothold that it has now, right? Uh, as opposed to before, but is there any presence out in Ontario right now? Not, not, um, not significantly by any means. I think there's always been this. Remember, it was a few years ago that a whole bunch of winemakers from both Ontario and BC had gotten together in Ottawa to try to get finally the allowance to having wine shipped throughout our country that could just not not be extreme with taxes. Um, I know when wines this was at a time that wines when they were BC wines landed in Ontario they were being taxed as if they were foreign wines. And so the prices of things just skyrocket. I know Laughing Stock Portfolio was selling for $38 a glass at a restaurant downtown in um, Toronto about five years ago, uh, where we were paying 38 bucks a bottle for it direct from the winery um, in BC. Um, so there's a few things here, and it's more of the, the flagship products that really exist. Um, you know, Oculus is here, um, but it's not, um, it's hard to find BC wines here for sure. It's amazing in a liquor store how much presence Ontario wineries have. Um, there's rows of Ontario wines, but it's too bad that there's not uh, there's not a huge. And it's like that in BC. There's not. A I was just gonna say. Yeah. I was just gonna say it's it's that's the way it is. The the reverse in BC, right? Because you're gonna is the rows and rows of BC wine, but then Ontario's 
not represented very well out here. So, yeah, yeah. Spring really, I mean, Cave Spring made it to BC. That was huge. Cave Spring Riesling is like Tantalus Riesling in BC. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. Um, and then it just, you, you didn't really see it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, hopefully one day we'll get there. The yeah. Country. Just being a, more, a little bit more um, acceptable for us taking care of each other and sharing what I mean, I mean, I think we drink mm -hmm. most of our wine. I, I think that's that's part of the issue is, is that, you know, the consume the consumption rate that, that actually is within each province is enough to uh, serve the market. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, yeah, there's not much to actually ship out. So I got I got some Pro Morissette, which was uh, almost impossible to get out here. Right, without um, you know, like you'll never see you'll never see anything on the shelves, right? Just to touch touch on the BC wine industry as well, I, I you know I, I think the nice thing was, uh, I, you know, I remember I remember really saying like I I think there's got to be more blends and and you know not that I had any influence over it, it was just my own preference, um, especially in regards to the reds and you know as the reds started to turn into blends the whole idea of trying to sell straight cab or or straight anything um out of bc wasn't where the the high price point went um started yeah. to come in it it did become the you know the oculus the portfolios the like all of those unless it's pinot noir obviously but it it, it really became the blends that became the the sort of benchmark high ticket price in in british columbia at least yeah. Yeah. and uh I was so happy when that happened because a lot of the straight red varietals I found were just really fighting against, you know, what the year could produce and all that sort of stuff. So I, I was just like, Bordeaux has been doing this for ages. It would be great when this happens. <laughs> I think it's an easier sell because it's, it's um, when you add like Cabernet right? Like, like you're getting the best of both worlds basically in one ball. So you're not having to pick between the two of them. You get that blend and, and, um, and for the average consumer who may not, who may not, if they had it uh, just as strictly as one varietal, not, I don't want to use the word bored, but, but having the blend just, just spices it up, let's call it. Right. Yeah. And it distinguishes you as a winery, um, you know, cause, cause now you know that this particular uh, release has a very different um, feel than someone else's. And and then you're not constrained, right? Because the microclimate is going to have such a huge impact. You know, if if, if you're in Narabana versus West Kelowna, that's a totally different microclimate. That's huge. Just like when you look at Niagara, Niagara got separated into I think it was twelve or thirteen microclimates, um, because the reality was there on you know almost like you know Latasha and Romani Conti just across the road. How different you know those those aspects can be to the same grape. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, going through a road trip through France a few years ago, I guess it's uh, eight, eight years ago now. Um, and just having it going through going through Burgundy, just having to having a taste all the way along the route. Right. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. I'm um, somehow just imagining you on a bicycle with a baguette. But that's I'm, a, yeah, I'm that. <laughs> we did. We did manage to go to uh, Versailles actually and do a bike do a bike trip around Versailles, which is obviously it's huge, right? So, um, wandering around on a bike was actually kind of cool. So, um, no baguette, but I had a jaunty hat on though. So nice, yeah, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, um, and, and 
Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go, go, go. Um, I, I was just going to say that you know the the element behind wine that really captured me was was the uh, spirit and the energy that it created. Like, um, some of my best wine experiences with really great wine had very little to do with the wine. It it's what it opened up in the relationship and with the people at the table, and it kind of created an elevation of what that experience meant. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's great moments where you sit around and you talk about, you know, the, the elements of what's going on in the bottle and, and all that factor, but uh, you know, th th there is that slight romantic aspect to it as well, where, where, um, you know, it, it, it kind of captures these slide decks of, of moments in time in your history. And, and for me, that, that's, that really stood out prior um, and it still continues to do so yeah it's neat i think it was when i was living in lake louise um when certain roommates and i finally got together we became the boys of 109 that's how everybody knew us um and i was starting to collect wine you know because it was it was a it was a thing i was into it um but i was much more about you know if i'm not here tomorrow then what's the point of cellaring this so i was always more active with drinking things young i've always like big, super ripe um, wines. But my 21st birthday, we actually had at the Banff Springs Hotel when the Banff Shade Club restaurant had opened up as the five dining property. And Anthony Chalmers, who's 100% been my mentor, thick and thin through um, the hospitality industry, who was um, the maitre d' of the hotel and the restaurant, um, but my sommelier teacher. Um, and if he ever listens to this, Anthony, again, thank you for everything that you've, you've brought to my life in this industry. Uh, but my 21st birthday, we sat down in the private room and my roommates were scared because they knew I had the wine list in hand. Um, and uh, we had 50% off the dinner, which was great. So I thought what well, we would have spent in Vegas in the last 20 minutes. Um, but just that moment of drinking 96 Jean Griveaux Von Romanet with my 20-year-old, 21-year-old, it was my 21st, my 21-year-old roommates who became my best friends for years. Um it, it tied us together. It was such a magical moment. So I think that still is that, that thing about service in a restaurant is there's such a celebration to how wine uh, becomes a part of somebody's um, moment that they're, that they're sharing together. Yeah. And that's, and that's, um, um, there's an author named Bianca Bosker who uh, mentions about, um, you know, having that wine and making that moment memorable. You know what I mean? Right. You don't necessarily, you don't necessarily need that memorable wine, but if you have that wine in that in that right moment, it makes that moment memorable, right? Yeah. Talk. So, um, I do uh, I do want to talk about what you guys are doing currently as well because um, uh, I think it's important to talk about what you guys are up to now. So, just run me through the the leadership and the and your kind of um, your your role, you know, your role right now in 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 restaurants and in hospitality and kind of what you guys are doing. Cause I think it's, I think it's great what you guys are doing. I think taking your, you know, decades of experience and putting it into, into a mentorship for the next generation, I think it's great. And just so kind of just run me through what you guys are up to these days. Chris, you want me to start? Um, sure. I, I mean, I'll kind of lay it out from a quick little, like where we're at now to what kind of brought us to this point as well. And so, I mean, effectively what we've done is we've, we've created a course uh, called Restaurant Leadership 101. And uh, there's a lot of courses out there that deal with 
you know, how do you set a table and, you know, you go to hospitality school and it's, you know, margins and inventory and how you control the schedule and, you know, all the hard skill aspects of it. Um, you know, that's not really what you're interacting with on a, on a, on a deeper level though. I, on a deeper level, you're kind of, in, you know, you're dealing with people and the hospitality industry has been fantastic with taking care of a client experience and, you know, arguably not so fantastic on taking care of the employee experience. And we're living in a purpose-driven employee workforce right now um, where the employee experience is what it's all about. And so how do you make that happen? And and the, the manner in which that occurs is really driven by this idea of strong leadership. So if, if the leadership understand the needs, then, and they understand themselves through a sense of self-awareness, they're going to have a, a way higher capacity to engage their team in a way that fulfills the purpose that people are actually looking for in the places that they're working. So, um, I, I really focused a lot of my energy in the later part of my restaurant career on developing people. Like, how do I make my department heads really good? And if they can be really good, then does that increase engagement amongst the staff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you know, I started getting my accreditation in behavioral psychology tools and psychometrics and emotional intelligence and that whole thing. And so when I left the restaurant industry specifically, I, I started, you know, um, coaching and consulting on different businesses. Ironically, next to none of them were in the restaurant space. Um, you know, they were in, you know, healthcare and uh, trades and, and, and that whole side. Um, but there's always that connection, right? I mean, that's where, that's where I spent, you know, 26, 27 years of my life. So it, you know, it, it's like, there's, you know, there's that kind of, kind of connection there. And so I always wanted to kind of come back to it from that perspective and then who do you collaborate with? Right. I mean, I mean, from, from the, you know, there's this whole idea of like, okay, well, I, you know, this is not going to happen alone. You know, I've got my own private group going on and Christopher has his own private groups going on, but it, something at this scale has to be done with someone with whom you can collaborate well, who has good alignment of values, all those other sort of factors. So I, I kind of threw out a funny uh, message to, to Christopher about a year ago. <laughs> Hey man, this is going to sound super pitchy, but I've got this idea and, and, and I, you know, I want to, I want to pick your brain on it and see if you want to uh, be involved and even drive it. Right. And so, so him and I ended up having, what restaurant were we at Christopher? We went, uh, Paul. Paul. Yeah. Paul on Robson street. So we went there for a, for a, you know, an hour lunch and it turned into a five hour escapade and it was like, you know, what do you think? And so, so that's where, that's kind of where the seed of it started. And, you know, how do you format it and all that sort of stuff came on later on down the road. So for me, there's like sort of two um, feet that I've got back in, in the restaurant and hospitality space, right? One is RL101. The other one is a, is a wine development app called Nobi that I'm involved in. And so that's kind of my way of kind of giving back to the industry that has kind of fed a lot of what's going on. Um. And so then, you know, there was a little bit of a, of a slow development on it initially. And then afterwards, it just turned into this, okay, yeah, let, let's let's make this happen. And then Christopher pretty much dove in um, full body, um, uh, you know, maybe feet first. We'll just call it like head first, belly flop, boom, into the water. 
and uh and him and i just had you know multiple phone calls and he's like hey i got module one hey i got module two hey I got and it was just like this like like tsunami of uh of, of material that was coming out um from his side because once he gets on to something it's 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 go which is <laughs> awesome right um I, I think that's that's absolutely fantastic um yeah chris i don't know if you want to if you want to share your your side of how this whole thing got yeah, it was kind of neat. I um I had left um, New Westminster at Piva uh, in December of last year, almost a year to the date. That's, um, that's where we last saw each other, I think. That's, that's where been, we last saw each other. So I spent four years there, which was uh, absolutely amazing. But um, yeah, I had a, I've, I've had a tricky couple of years with uh, a lot of personal family things, and I knew I needed to to, to really I just I needed to make a change in my life. Um, so I did, and Edwin and I actually kind of re reacquainted ourselves um, at Piva one one random day when he was dropping things off to help a buddy out. Um, and uh, Edwin and I actually first met back in 2015, where I interviewed at Shambar. Um, so our, our our time span of knowing each other goes back um, quite a bit, which is awesome. Um, anyway, so I had, when we had sat down first, um, I'd always thought maybe it'll be something that we. It'd be very cool if there was something that we would ever do together. Um, and, um, and yeah, that lunch was epic. I went home so, um, so empowered and so excited. Um, I've been learning piano the last year and um, like, I just hopped on the piano. Um, that was awesome. I just started playing fan of the opera stuff and my wife got home and she's like, what's up with you? And I'm like, just a wicked day today. It was such a successful day with Edmund. What, what our thoughts and plans are. Are you um, saying it was your hot date, Christopher? Is that, is that what absolutely, man? <laughs> the way you ate those eggs, Benedict. Oh, we're getting snow flurries, by the way, now. Oh, nice. Um, really, you know, it was exciting. Um, and I jumped into it. Um, and then another opportunity came up, which I was like, hey, I can do that as well. And, and then I was like, hey, maybe I can do this all while being the GM of a restaurant again. <laughs> and, and I couldn't. Um, yeah, I went back into the, the business and... Um, yeah, I just I wasn't I wasn't in a, a, a good happy spot uh, like I was to start when I, when I first talked about this. But to Anywho, to to make um, that change though uh, is I mean you must have been like after decades and whatnot just to be like that's a that's a scary move, man. Like uh, you know it takes a lot of balls to do that. It did, um, but you know it was funny when we when I had when I knew that I had to make a change um, in my life again. Um, it was neat how things just come back when Edward and I connected in September. Um, I apologized to him because I said, you gave me the opportunity to actually leave this business. Um, and he reminded me, he goes, it's going to be scary, right? It's different. It's new, um, but that's okay. And uh, and I said, okay, I'm in. Let's, let's, let's do this. And funny enough, as I did that, um, the other thing that I was, um, you know, had the opportunity to do, jump back into my life, um, which then... And a flourished into the McFadden Group being a consulting company. Um, but I went all hands in. It was very sad. My stepmom um, battling cancer um, as we had decided to make the move back to Burlington. Um, or, yeah, for the first time, my wife's from Prince Edward Island. Um, so we just knew that it was time for us to start being a little bit more attentive to family first. And being closer to our family was a, was a must for us um, because there was no way with you know, where my family's health was at, that anybody was ever going to be able to make it out to Vancouver uh, to see us. So we made the decision to, to come back closer to family. 
Um, but sadly, as we had made that decision a few weeks before we were making the move, my stepmom's cancer really uh, took an aggressive toll. And I flew out and um, I was bedside with my dad when she passed um, at the hospital, which was easily the most powerful moment I've ever had with my my father. And in the three weeks that I had spent with him, making sure that we were both strong to take care of each other, my stepmom Liz's office is so organized. She's the most organized human being I've ever met. And two and a half weeks later, I texted Evelyn and I was like, okay, well, the instructor manual is done. <laughs> He's like, what? And I was like, yeah, instructor manual is done. Everything's formatted. The course is done. The instructor manual is done. He's like, holy shit. Okay. That's, that's okay. Let's go. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was neat. Like four days later, I just get this little message. He's like, it's live. And here we are. And Restaurant Leadership 101 was live on Edwin's website. And um, and then we secured domains. And we just, we we officially went at it. But we did it. We did it with passion and perseverance and an understanding, really, of watching, watching the, the hospitality industry suffer as badly as it is. You know, talking to to restaurateurs still that are like, you know, 50, 60 hour work weeks is all I expect. And I'm like, holy cow, that's that's a lot. Yeah, it's all I expect. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, like, like, you know like that's, that's that's expecting a lot. You know, and 20 year old kids now that are joining the industry just aren't aren't doing that, nor do want to do that. Um, so we knew there was a space here that gave us an opportunity to look through the handbooks that we've written and the handbooks that have been written for us. Um and knew that there was an, another handbook that could be written that allowed people to to pay attention to their themselves, to build themselves and to be stronger, better leaders. Um, because as a manager, you're just given the, here's the book, right? Let's go at it. Or the bartender that's doing really good. And you're like, you should be our bar manager without letting them know any of the emotion that's going to go into it. Um, or the fight that you get into with your chef and your 17-year-old hostess watches you. And it's just a normal thing that happens in the restaurant business. There should be an opportunity to fix that. And nobody ever taught us how to fix that. So we thought we, well, we thought we would. And uh, Restaurant Leadership 101 was born. It, so it's funny you say that because, um, so I don't know if you know or not, but I, I lived in the Middle East for a while. And um, the I got back in the hotels when I was over there. And uh, yeah, it was like, it was like this eighties kind of, it felt like the eighties or the nineties or something. Cause it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to work 60 hours. You're going to work six days a week. And you know, um, we're going to yell at everybody in front of everybody and just kind of all this really old school, you know, managerial style. Right. And it's just like, you know, you, they need that. Uh, they need that open, you know, eye opening moment, you know what I mean? To realize that this isn't, this isn't the this isn't the method that's going to work, you know, and that's why. I think like, that's, yeah, yeah, I think it's a lot with senior leaders, though, right? Is that it's just been ingrained in us. You know, I used a string to line up wine glasses and cutlery down tables when I learned the restaurant business. So when I was trying to teach, when I was trying to teach staff at restaurants, how important it was as a sommelier that the logo of, of Riedel or Spiegelau was facing a guest when they sat at a table. They had no idea why that even mattered. And I said, it's because we're doing things with intention. Whether or not somebody notices, those that do notice are going to realize that the setting was made for them with, with care and, and precision because we thought about doing it for the reason why we did it. 
we put more heart, more soul, and more energy into into taking care of somebody's place um, because we thought about it with 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 care. Um, well, and that's and, I think it's, you know, and that's how you get a repeat customer, and that's how you get someone who gives you a good review and and who you build a relationship with a because people can go anywhere people can can leave a bad review they can go to the next restaurant who doesn't care you know what i mean and you want that you want that person coming back and saying i love coming to this place because of how much they're they care about me right and it's yeah. uh yeah. as a, as a consumer you you want you want to be uh, cared for and you want that relationship Details are there's a there, there's a perceived dichotomy here as well. Um, so you know, as as and I, I you know, I'm as guilty as any other leader who didn't have training of, you know, basically like like losing your shit, right? Um, and and because you know your 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 drive for perfection gets so high that you start to lose the fact that there's a connection to the people that are actually trying to make that, that thing happen. And and there's no there's no avenue or resource to to sort of mend that unless you start going down the road of just realizing that that's actually not necessary. That that you know you know a lot of times you hear the whole you know carrot or stick mentality or or whatever happens to be, and even that is like such a flawed outlook. Um, and we grew up in an era where you know. Like, like, I mean, I'm, I can speak for myself, but I, I grew up in the 80s, right? So I, all I saw was that adults were materialistic and were really looking to, you know, have a badge of something. And then as we kind of went into um, the service age, right, sort of 90s to 2000s, this whole idea of like, okay, um, even industries that were not service-based became very service-oriented. And that meant that you needed to have a team that cared so much about the service that the client felt like they were king. And now we live in an era where the employee is the one that is like, well, what about me? And it's a valid statement. Um, and one of the biggest things that's happened coming out of COVID and through COVID was people actually reevaluated what, what mattered to them. And, and, in the word reevaluate, value is in that word. And so their values came to the fore, like what matters to me? Well, time with my family and things that I care about and giving my time and energy to something that I think is going to fulfill me on the other side. And there was a, a very interesting study that came out where as people were going back to work and and, and whatever else, um, from as as COVID was starting to you know we were starting to see the the light on the end of the tunnel of of industry coming back to the fore, was that businesses were polled and asked you know do you understand the needs and the values of your of your staff and uh, a little over eighty percent I think it was somewhere around eighty seven percent said said yes, and then but the staff that were polled um, were asked the same thing and like fifteen percent said yes. That the company understands what their needs were. Like someone's wrong here, right? <laughs> like it's it, it's there, there, there's clearly a um, a missing piece a missing piece to this whole thing. And so the employee experience is really where it's at. And unless you unless leaders start to understand the role they play, not from a logistical operational standpoint. That's that's the management side of it. Like, can you manage a wine list? Can you manage a schedule? Can you manage a, a team roster? Um, can you go in and you know figure out sales mix and 
and understand that, okay, great. Well, you know, this menu item's got to shift by dollars here and up here and down there, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's all the, the moving puzzle pieces of, of the business. It does nothing to the fulfillment of who they are as a leader. And so, uh, th you know, th th that's the part where we will really want to step in and, and have a positive impact on that, specific to the restaurant industry. Um, it exists in other sectors. This this whole development thing does exist in other sectors. It doesn't exist in the restaurant space. Uh, and so we, the, the the concept around the course and, and how we design this, and Chris, and, uh, like we've had very deep, meaningful conversations around this, is, is that the situations that someone experiences as a chef, as a front of house manager, as a bar manager, as the head of the door, um, you know, as the wine director, are so unique that if those conversations can get, then get tied back to what does it mean for to be emotionally regulated? What does it mean to have the emotional perception and expression to be able to tie back in what someone's actual experience was outside of like, let's just jump to solution. Um, how do you develop empathy in all of those sorts of um, experiences where you're not having to like necessarily go, yeah, I agree with what you're saying, but to understand it in, in a really deep seated manner. And how do you learn that? And and so we're like, well, let's fill that gap. It was such an awesome moment when it happened too. Is that it was it? We were just chatting about the business, and you know, me mentioning chefs that used to throw pans at the way of a server just to remind you that they were in charge, and um, and and yeah, we just went through this roster of things. And then Edwin's like, okay, so let's let's fix that. <laughs> that, that was it. And it was funny because RL101 was the 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 let's just let's just put the file name on it as this. And then we we realized that that was the right name for the the course. And it's funny though, because there was some people that I had reached out to that, you know, I had to specifically mention that we weren't trying to directly hit them i'm like hey you're the owner of the business it's not i'm not necessarily going after you it's it's what we can do for your teams right and then the reply comes back and i'm like okay good 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 now that we're on the same page <laughs> yeah, that yeah, defensive, that defensive yeah, yeah i was like oh no they think i'm talking about them no this isn't yeah. good <laughs> yeah you're, you're talking about the industry as a whole you're not specifically pointing fingers or, or yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah. and i think it's amazing too because the 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 people and leaders that we've met with and the companies that we've met with, um, you know, we've, we've been able to even open up this market to, um, you know, care facilities and seniors homes that, you know, have, have um, big culinary departments in it. Um, and, and that need for this being, um, you know, not just that restaurant, but, you know, the food service industry itself um, that, that needs, that just needs something new to be able to look at in order to really, you know, shrink this turnover rate that's happening in our businesses because people just aren't thinking the same. For sure. Um, yeah. It's just a different generation that's getting into it, right? They need to think differently. So No, for sure. I'm going to put a, a link in the episode notes, but um, maybe just mention where, where they can find out about the, about your, um, your leadership course. Yeah. So it's a restaurant leadership. 101.com and um that'll that'll drive them straight towards it um we're also both on linkedin and uh rl 101 on linkedin and um 
yeah so it's, it's a really easy url cool. and uh you know we were kind of just saying like this is the fundamental foundational cool. building blocks of what's required from from a leadership standpoint and 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 companies are no longer really hiring for hard skills right i mean there's not enough experience out there to just hire for hard skills like you, you gotta hire for soft skills and you know what is someone's you know ability to engage in a empathetic way and you know how do they relate um it, it it's hard to regulate the emotions of a team and your and your members if, if you don't know what your own capacity is right so st start with you kind of, kind of things yeah i think um i think i'm gonna leave it there guys i think that's that's a good uh good spot to to end it um awesome Appreciate it, gents. Appreciate it a lot. Yeah, 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 thank you, man. This is fantastic. Thanks for having us on, Ian. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests. Friendsofthevine.podbean.com Take care. Have a glass for me. Pinot or Riesling or something? I like Pinot. He does like Pinot. I do like Pinot. Pinot, Pinot, Pinot.